Testing, one, two, three, am I live? Live and ready to go. Can you hear me? Live and ready to go, yes, I can hear you. Can no, let's you, just take, our listener, hear Dave Fitch? Hey, can we just chill out for a minute? Oh, yeah. We've been chilling for like four months. I think people want us to like record a podcast and shoot it out to them. Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to get into that again, but uh, dude, uh, where were you? <laughs> where were you? We were all working, and now we're moved, and now we're sitting in our brand new studio. I'd like to dub the name of this studio. Here. Okay, what's it going to be? The Griffith. The Griffith Radio Studio Northern Seminary Live. How about that? In their new Lyle Center. We'll keep yeah. it short, huh? Hey, yeah, well, well, welcome back to Theology on Mission. I know you're about to go into a big thing there, but I'm trying to remind the people, you, our dear listener, what we're up to here. This is Theology on Mission. We're breaking out into our third season. Yes, our third season. Our podcast talks about God. Some life, people were wondering if we're ever going to have a third season. And everything season. in between. Yes, I know. I know. But I thought... I was wondering. Uh, well, I was confident we were just waiting for all the construction to get done, and there were some tech issues, and people stole. I got to tell gear. you, the carpet here is blowing me away because, frankly, you know, I, I need sunglasses to come into the studio now because the carpet is so bizarre. Uh, I don't want to hate, but I don't want to criticize the people who used their uh, artistic abilities to frame this studio because it because it is a unique space. But there's no windows. Remember that Griffith? Yeah, there's no windows. That's no nice. windows. We're sitting here together. But we got the nice chairs. So thank you for hanging with us the last couple of months, waiting for the next episode. What are we talking about today? We're kind of going to the heart of this whole theology on mission thing, which is we're asking the question, if God is everywhere, then why do we say that Christ is coming? Or why do we pray for the Holy Spirit to come? Or why do we say God is here? If God's everywhere, isn't he always here? Why do we have to emphasize these things? And it gets to the heart of the sense of God being on mission, going out, being sent being, forth. Yeah, and and if, you know, most people who, or anybody who's read my book, Faithful Presence, I'm not saying everybody has read my book, but for those three or four people out there who've read my book, um, you know you know that presence is central concept, central to how at least I've come to know and understand the church. I think it's central to how the scripture understands the church. I think the scripture's always talking about, you know, presence, you know, uh, Psalm 139, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? That's like King James version, uh, Psalm 139.7. But, you know, this is throughout the whole Bible, and I make a big deal about that in Faithful Presence. But more and more, I'm realizing, you know, I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall, realizing that people are having a struggle to understand the difference between God's universal presence over the whole world and yet the fact that he makes himself present visibly in the church and wherever the church gathers in the world to make space for him to work in the world. I realize that's um, not an easy concept, especially for people, American Protestants, American, uh, let's make, especially white evangelicals who have been so cognitivized, can I put it that way? Or have been so structured where God's visible real presence has been structured out of their existence. And so this is the big problem for me in in sorting out what it means to 
go into the world and participate with what God's doing in the world. Can you say in a better way the problem of universal presence versus his visible presence in the church? Well, I think uh, one practical place we see this is at the beginning of worship services, not always, but you know, many liturgical or Pentecostal, there's a prayer for the Holy Spirit or God to come and be with us or upon us as we enter into God's presence or something like that. And I, you know, I get questions, well, why do we pray that? If we believe God's with us always, why are we praying that God would specifically be with us? And if you've been around like Pentecostals or something like that, they're constantly praying that the Holy Spirit would be poured out, that we'd be filled more fully with God's presence or that we'd acknowledge these things. And so, but that creates a problem because then it feels like some Christians have more of God's presence than other Christians. Uh, and then there, what, is there a hierarchy? Is there... So then we get this trouble. So then I think a lot of us retreat from that kind of language and we're like, well, uh, we all live in Christ and we all have access to God and we don't need any kind of manifestations yeah. or any other understandings. And so it ping pongs back between the charismatics and maybe the more reformed. I think it's a huge pro- I think it's so important that pastors figure this one out. Um, and I, I want to say that I think a singular um role for the pastor and for the leader and for the worship leaders to lead people into his presence, both in worship, in the proclamation of the gospel, or as Carl Barth would say, the proclamation of the word, um, and, and in music and especially around the table. And so this is a, a big deal. Now you and I have been going back and forth on this issue for years uh, we wrote that article together a long time ago. I can't remember what the name of it was. We, uh, I was starting to use the language of twofold movement uh, of God the Son into the world. And what I meant by that was God came into the world, the Son, sent the Son. He became human in flesh, Jesus Christ. He accomplished the victory of the cross. He ascends to the right hand of the Father, so he rules over all things now. That's the first movement. But the second movement is he he goes with his disciples because he says, if I go, the Comforter will take my place. And the Holy Spirit then is sent with the disciples and the church to be his presence in the world. Twofold movement. And so you see in the Great Commission, right, Mr. Jeff Holesclaw? Love the Great All Commission. power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Okay, Jesus Christ is now ruling over the whole world. Right. It's very comprehensive. But then he says, lo, I go with you until the end of the age. My presence will be with you. There's this continual um, thing going on. God is present everywhere, but... God becomes visibly manifest in his presence among the church wherever they go. That's a huge issue for me. That's a huge concept for me. I wish I had learned that issue, that concept. It turns out, as as we're getting to my main point of this session, A.W. Tozer was saying this a long time ago, um, but I wish I had have understood this in terms of uh, how it could have meant so much more to me because I don't know about you but when when I went to church a lot of times I thought oh I got to go listen to a 45 minute sermon take good notes and I will become a better Christian or I've got to have a good experience of singing a few worship songs get in touch with Jesus it's all a personal thing I have now uh, come to such a fuller understanding of what God wants to do wherever his people gather to submit to him and the risen Christ in his presence among us and this isn't uh 
some problem that was created by theology, right? This, you know, because sometimes, uh, you know, I, we're both, I think, trained as theologians, and we can get kind of um, uh, reprimanded by the biblical scholars and say, oh, you're just creating problems that the Bible doesn't have because of Western enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. But this is not the case. You look at the Old Testament, and there were these dual affirmations in uh in the, the scriptures of Israel, which is that God is everywhere. You go up into the highest heavens, the highest heavens of the heavens, and God is there. You go up into the deepest depths, and God is there. God is everywhere, before and behind and everything. You, so you get omnipresence. But then you also um, get a specific location. You get, let's go up to the house of the Lord. And where is that? Jerusalem. It's the temple. And so you, you have this sense that God has localized God's self in Jerusalem, in the temple, even though there's always a continual affirmation of God never being able to be contained in a temple or in a particular place. So you have this universal or ubiquity of God's presence, and you also have its localization within Israel. So this isn't this is part of the the biblical narrative. Yes, to affirm these two things at the same time. Yes, and and uh, so uh, in the book Faithful Presence, I have this appendix in the back. I think it's appendix three where I, I talk about extending. The presence. That's what the church is. I call it an alternative basis for ecclesiology and mission. And I say that the the missional church's way of talking about the, this problem is, well, Missio Dei, God is at work in the whole world. His presence is everywhere. And that's one side of the missional church conversation. Often, by the way, affiliated with Protestant mainline churches that you know, very easily uh, find that God's work is in the world. He's at work in justice, and we need to go out there and participate. But then there's the incarnation. God comes to be here in a specific place, time. Often here the presence becomes located in individuals, what Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost, my two good buddies, uh, say often little Jesuses entering into the world. And I've, I've often said, Either one. The Missio Dei becomes so big that we end up just trying to chase down justice projects everywhere. Incarnation, in a way, becomes too small. It gets individualized for fear that we institutionalize uh, the presence of Christ. And what I want to say is, no, God has given us practices to make visible his presence among us on Sunday morning, but also in the world. And so before we get to the conclusion and solving of this problem and the challenge that we all must engage and lead people into his presence both on Sunday morning and in the world. Um, this past Sunday at Peace of Christ Church, so I was teaching on Ephesians chapter 1. And, and can we read the last few verses there? Can you listen to this whole song? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, God put this power, this is verse 20, to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. By the way, this power is not coercive power. It's the power of his presence God did not come down and coerce everybody. He died, suffered, and died, overcame the victory, the, uh, had the victory over Satan, evil, and death through, through the crucifixion, through suffering. And then through that power, he was raised from the dead. And now he's ascended to the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, verse 21, and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. It's, it's like so comprehensive in terms of Christ's rule in all things. And he has put, verse 22, all things under his feet and has made him head over all things. Now here's the key right here. For the church or 
to the church, Mm -hmm. which is his body, his visible, physical manifestation. And it says the fullness of him. The church is the fullness. Marcus Bart says that alludes to Shekinah glory in the temple, the presence of God. He becomes visibly manifest in the church. Last few words of that text, who fills, who still fills all in all. Mm -hmm. And so, dude, it's just amazing how this is all through the Bible and how it gives us the key to what and who the church is and how we are to go and make space in the world through our mutual submission to him for his presence to become visible, for his reconciliation to break out, for socioeconomics to take shape and reorder the world. I know that sounds, we we can't go any further than that. I know it sounds kind of mystical or whatever. It's not. I have seen it happen over and over again when the church can make space. And so um, this all gets down to A.W. Tozer's way of talking about it, which now I feel um, helps us maybe communicate this concept better. And so in chapter 5 of Pursuit of God, also Knowledge of Hol- of the Holy was his other great book, A.W. Tozer, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about the attributes of God and he talks about the presence of God. But chapter 5 in Pursuit of God is a good place to go where he talks about the universal presence of God. And he talks about the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. And and he talks, ab- and by the way, this is this is kind of this theme of manifest presence versus omnipresence. God is at work everywhere. But he comes to be manifest among his people to break out in the, in the fire of the work of the Holy Spirit to do his work among us. Uh, that's a pretty charismatic. And so what does he theme. say? How is it that we become more cognizant of his manifest presence? Because... He says that God's desire is that we would all experience his presence to the fullest. And so there's not a difference in God's desire to be revealed fully in his presence before us. So what is the difference? He says it's our spiritual receptivity. Yeah. He's, our spiritual or, or, antennae are, uh, uh, are more directed toward God. We've cleared out the kind of conflicting signals. Um, and so we're allowed or not allowed. We're able then to receive or perceive God's presence more fully. Right, right. Uh, I, I prefer surrender. We must surrender control and submit to his lordship over this space. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we're getting close to the end of our thing, but uh, I think there's a big difference between the way A.W. Tozer talks about manifest presence and the way I see it in the Bible. I see... Well, hold on. Before we go there, yes, we just want to talk about two dangers that he talked, or not that he talks about, but that are possible. One, uh, on the, the side of God's omnipresence, is you could take it two different ways. That uh, if disconnected from his manifest presence, there's a problematic. One is kind of like the deistic or disconnected view of uh, um, God, that God is more or less absent. Like God has created a world where he's absent, he's sovereign, he's Lord. But, you know, he doesn't intervene. He doesn't get involved. We're waiting until heaven, right? The opposite version of that is kind of the pantheistic or panentheistic. Is that like, well, everything becomes God because every God's, God's doing every, everything is God. Everything is God. Everywhere is God. Every cre- creature is God. And so that those two views could be problematic. You could also go the other way where you're trying earnestly to experience, to acknowledge, to 
uh, cajoles God's presence more fully in every situation that you can't do anything until you've somehow tingled a bit or if there's somehow a manifestation of God's presence. And if that's none of those things are happening, then God's not there, right? So then you can become straightjacketed trying to seek God's presence, right? So we don't want, we're trying to create a space where uh, neither of those happen. And I think what Who's we, to, we, we, us, we, us, you, right, you and me right now. Yeah. We're I'm not to trying hold. to create anything. I'm just trying to be faithful to <laughs> uh, the scriptures and to an understanding of what God is doing in the world through the people of God. And it, and he promised to be a, to be present, to be with the nation of Israel on their journey through the wilderness, the tabernacle, and then the temple. And, and he promised to rule his people. And, of course, they went off the deep end with a king and all this other stuff, trying to replace, trying to control, control. But, but nonetheless, in Jesus Christ, he has come to be present with us. And to, and to rule the world and bring all things to himself. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, and he shall reign until all things have been made subject. So he's in the process of bringing all things to himself through his presence. But this must become visible and manifest for people to see Carl Barth called that witness. Actually, John the Baptist called it witness, pointing his finger to Jesus. Um, and then the world can see and join in. And so, um, um, can I get now to where? Yes. So, so Let's do it. So, A. W. Tozer, I, and, and I think this is maybe the fault. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying the charismatic emphasis is on a personal subjective experience of his presence. Um, I, I, uh, I'm not. That's not all that it is. It, there will be times when we have subjective, when by that I mean personal, real experiences, phenomenological experience of the presence of God in our lives. But that is not what we seek. Neither do I think uh, that the presence is only located in the bread and the wine sacramentally as, as our dear brothers and sisters, Roman Catholics, believe. But I do believe that he is present there, really present at the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup. But it is more than that. He promises to be present, especially in the practices of when two or three gather. So when we gather in his name to reconcile, he promises to be in the midst, uniquely, specially present, visible. When we are with the poor, he says, that was me that was there when you gave that cup of water. When we are with the children, that was me you welcomed there. When you proclaimed the gospel and they wel- and they heard it and they received it, they, w- they received me. That was me there. When we ate, whenever you do this, whenever you eat this meal, whenever you eat, be present to my presence. I promise to be there. That's a bit of a, uh, a stretch of a, uh, what do you call it? What do you, transliteration. What do you call it when you... Transliteration? No, no, no. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I... I, I, I took liberty to expand what that means anemesis midrash but uh that's those those places those social realities is where jesus promises to be present and make his reign visible folks this is what i think it's all about so when we go out in the midst of the violence of the world, we have the opportunity to make space for his reconciliation if we ourselves are reconciled as a people ourselves. We have, when we eat in the neighborhoods, we have 
we have the opportunity to surrender and make space for Jesus to be present and do his thing, do, do what he's going to do. Likewise, being with the hurting, the poor, the broken. Likewise, whenever we proclaim the gospel of hope, and renewal of all things. So I just think uh, this key, omnipresence, manifest presence. He promises to be present among us when we do these things. I've located them in seven practices. The Roman Catholic Church had seven sacraments. Um, there's been other practices, uh, notably certain Anabaptist groups had five practices. But um, yeah. Uh, I I just I am just uh, aware that it's very hard to communicate this, but until we as churches uh, preach and teach the manifest presence of Christ among us, I don't see risk. I don't I don't know that we're going to achieve mission in the world. I don't know if we're going to truly be able to participate in God's mission in the world. Is that a bold, excessive statement? No, not bold or excessive at all. I think. That uh, we're doing what this podcast says we're doing. We're theology on mission or a mission that needs some theology to back it up to help make sense of the different categories. You can go off the rails if we don't hold these two things together um, in some sort of affirmation of God's universal presence and lordship over all things, but also his coming, his specific local, uh, localized manifestation of his work and kingdom. If we can't hold both of those things together, we're bound to go off the rails in some fashion, as we go about the work of mission in our neighborhoods. And so this is an example of what we do here on this podcast, Theology on Mission. So I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, can uh, I have this Appendix 3. I think I can scan it and make it available to anybody who uh, emails us. Oh, I like it. Anyone who um, emails us, or should we and, put it up somewhere? And uh, Anyone who gives us a review on uh, iTunes? <laughs> Ouch, that is really manipulative. I can't believe you said that. Uh, uh, And also, uh, Pursuit of God is available for free online. Maybe we can give them a link to that. Is it available for free? Yeah, I got it for free. All right, well, we'll put this on the show notes. Look for it on the Theology Theology on Mission Facebook page is where we're going to put these links and these opportunities. So if you don't follow Theology on Mission on Facebook, That'll be the place to find those. That's not just a marketing call. That's just the most. That's just the easiest way for me to get you all. Okay, the, and I'll tell you what. Information. I, I'll scan uh, the appendix three, and uh, we can just put and it on. We can put yeah. it up there. Uh, also, just as uh, our good friend uh, Joshua Ryan Butler wrote a book called "The Pursuing God," and his launching point was Tozer's book, "The Pursuit of God," and he says it's true that we should pursue God. But it's also true that God is pursuing us. So you should all check that out, too. It's called The Pursuing God by Joshua I don't think A.W. would mind that one bit. And we had uh, Butler on about a year and a half ago at the end of season one. Uh, I don't even know. Seems like forever. It was forever ago. Hey, so I'm springing this on you really quick, but we haven't pulled out this segment in a while. But, uh, Dave, what are you reading? I'll go first to give you a second to think. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't have enough time to pull the uh, the Fitch versus Fitch, which I also love. Um, if any of you have other segments you wish we would do or bring back, you could throw those on our Facebook page, too. So, But I've been reading The Evangelicals, The Struggle to Shape America by Frances Fitzgerald. She's a historian. It's like this recent, almost definitive work on evangelicalism uh, in North America. It's about 600 pages long. Why are you and reading I'm just that? At the beginning because I'm an evangelical and I need to understand my history. It's this type of therapy. 
So I'm just doing therapy. It's, I'm doing like, you know, religious, family. Did you get the book therapy. for free? Because it's a probably no, really I expensive. Paid for it. I paid oh, wow. for it. It was part of my summer reading, and I didn't get around to it. But I've uh, started cracking it again. I've been quite enjoying it. And so the evangelicals, the struggle to shape America is what I've been dipping my toe into. What have you been looking over just the whole um, summer? Uh, I don't know what I've been. I've been reading a lot of, over the summer on different things, but I'm I'm at the end of uh, the end of Protestantism by Pete Light Peter Lightheart, ah. and uh, it is the 500th anniversary after all. And I'm I'm you know it's calling for a, a kind of a reformed Catholicism. Uh, I, I like his analysis of the problem. I like how he how he views the division and and helps us understand denominationalism and the problem and that it's running its course and that's very much in line with this next book that I'll be writing um, so yeah and I'll be at McMaster uh, Divinity School MacDiv School at the end of the month in Hamilton Ontario my f- place where I was raised as a young child and and there's a conference on on the Reformation and post Christendom and so come join me if you're out there it's the end of the month I think October 27 28 uh, but yeah, I was reading that book for that purpose. Excellent. Yeah, we should do a couple episodes on Protestantism since. Uh, well, we'll see. Hey, a uh, couple quick uh, announcements for you, our listener. We're going to have some great interviews coming up. We have Brian Zahn that we're trying to get on the schedule, and he's talking about his book "Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God," which is kind of a twist on the Jonathan Edwards. He's really good at doing that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so really good at making those little. Uh, we're gonna cute have him on theological phrases that are zingers. We're gonna have Sean Palmer on to talk about his new book soon, and Alan Hirsch, who what book did he just uh, write? Five Q. Five Q, which is more about uh, the, the five emotional intelligences. He's just expanding on the uh, fivefold ministry. I know some of you maybe have some problems with that. We are going to dig in deep and and ask him some important questions about that book. So those will all be queuing up in the next uh, couple weeks, month or so. So be sure to look for those. Uh, any other announcements, Dave? Besides, we're sitting in the cool new digs here at Northern Seminary. Yeah. The, the quarter has started. We're both deep into our classes. Really, really. Week. We're just excited. You know, uh, our enrollment... I uh, probably shouldn't say this on well <laughs> it almost tripled this this quarter and so um we really i mean the entry the new class is almost three times bigger than the class we had just just four years ago so anyways we're excited about what's going on here and uh host clause keeping everybody in shape and in line and including myself and uh we're just praising god for the beginning of a new quarter amen to that hopefully we'll hit season four next year and still be in the same studio. Every season we've changed I'm not studios. Leaving. I'm not leaving. This studio is here. I'm not if we if we change studios again. Okay, Dave Fitch is here, Jeff Holsklaw is here, you all are here listening. We're gonna do this podcast once a week as best as we can, starting now. All right, everybody. So we'll see you next week, same time, same station. Thanks for joining us after this long hiatus, and we look forward to a great season, season three, Theology on Mission Podcast. Signing out. Thanks a lot.